Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Okay, I was like so tempted to just lead off with that Tarzan. I don't even know how to do it, but like the Tarzan call of the wild, um, inspired by grandchildren who went to the zoo this week, but also just inspired by the headline news of the day and wondering what you're clinging to. What you're clinging to? What are you clinging to today? This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge on the Faith Radio Network, resisting the temptation to give a Tarzan-like call out today. And because Paul Perot is the greatest producer in the whole world, it just happened. Thank you, sir. So no the vine, the vine to which I am clinging today and would commend to you, uh, comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me read from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I mean, Jesus didn't say here, like Tarzan, clinging to the vine. Um, But that is the image I'm holding out this morning. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Again, we're reading from John chapter 15, the words of Jesus, where he goes on to say, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I call you friends, for all I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the and ask the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Abide in Christ today. May the word of Christ abide in you and you abide in him, that your life would bear the fruit of righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That you would recognize that Not only do you have a friend in Jesus 
mean, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. When Jesus says, you know, ask for it in my name and it will be done to you, what he's talking about is the access granted to the Father because of the Son. We don't just waltz in or march in or find our own way into the presence of God by prayer. No, no, no. We go by one route, and that is by the way that Christ has provided We gain access to the Father through the Son, and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends of Jesus, my friends, are your sorrows and your griefs too great to bear today on your own? Well, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Let's not forfeit the peace. Let's not bear needless pain. Let's carry everything to God in prayer. Do we have trials and temptations? Oh, yes. Is there trouble anywhere? There's trouble everywhere. Let us never be discouraged, but take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Yeah, we will. We have. Jesus knows our every weakness. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let us take it to the Lord in prayer. What are you hanging on to today? I mean, that vine, that branch, if it's any other than Christ, it's going to fail. And you're going to sound like Tarzan swinging through the forest, swinging through the jungle of the days in which we live. I'm clinging to Christ. What a friend. What a Savior. What a King. What a Lord. What a gift. What a grace. I'm taking it to the Lord in prayer. Steve West joins us next. We're going to go through the Liberties Roundup from World Magazine. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. West is back. He's an attorney. He also does what we call, um, well, and what they call the World Magazine Liberties Roundup. Steve, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. All right. What's going on at this Kansas high school? Um, And let's bring this particular teacher into view. Telling the truth in class. What's going on? Yeah, this is just another episode in what we call the pronoun wars in our public schools. You know, we have a lot of schools out there. Uh, it's very becoming very common for these schools to adopt pronoun policies that require teachers to address a child or student by not their biological sex, but by their preferred sex, so the preferred pronoun that they have. And uh, these can be any number of pronouns, but it's certainly somebody who's um, a female can be asked to be addressed by by a male pronoun. And so here's a teacher, Pamela Ricard, a middle school teacher in Kansas, who is not on board with this. Uh, She's a Christian, and she does not believe that she can do this um, and be truthful. And if she can't be truthful, then she couldn't be obedient to her Lord. So she challenged the school's policy. She filed a lawsuit to do this. It stemmed from an incident last year in April 
where she declined to address a student who was a female, biologically female, who wanted to be addressed by a male pronoun, wanted to be called he or him. Uh, she addressed the student by their last name in order to avoid the conflict. That wasn't good enough for the school, and school disciplined her by putting her on a suspension for three days. And so, uh, and this was after some challenge uh, challenges administratively and all, but she finally ended up in court over this matter and filing this lawsuit. So that's where it stands right now. You know, it's really a difficult matter. It's also come up in Virginia, in Loudoun County, Virginia, with teachers there. It's also come up uh, in a case before the Virginia Supreme Court with a, uh, a French teacher named, uh, high school teacher named Peter Vlaming. So this is something that's much and much more common now among public schools where this kind of uh, policy is being pushed in these schools. My heart goes out uh, to this teacher and, and every teacher like her. She really, I think, made a, a sincere effort to find an accommodation by using the student's last name. Um, when this incident took place, the, the school district, as I understand it, and the school did not have any particular policy related to the use of preferred pronouns. Um, and so when she referred to the student as Miss and then her legal last name um, under which she was enrolled as a student in the school, you know, that seemed an appropriate accommodation. And yet, man, the um, the response to her at a personal level as well as a professional level and then in the public um, is is really is just pretty astounding. So I want you guys to go and read this, Telling the Truth in Class. You can find it at wng.org. That's World News Group. We're talking with Steve West. We're going to continue with the Liberties Roundup in just a moment. Continuing our conversation with... Attorney Steve West, he is the editor of the World Magazine Liberties Roundup. Um, so this next uh, conversation and story, T Steve, kind of turns the table in terms of what's going on at public schools across the country. Uh, Nicholas Ortiz is a Florida teenager, and in front of his fellow students, um, he was ridiculed by a science teacher. Uh, tell us what's going on here. Yeah, you know, if your heart goes out to the Kansas teacher I mentioned, your heart really will go out to this particular student. You know, students are kids are kids, and if you're different in school, you're different, uh, you're going to get picked on. You know, that's a, that's commonly known. We've all experienced some of that over time. But this is way over the top, what happened in this Florida school. So Nicholas was, like you said, Carmen, was um, singled out by this uh, science teacher for believing in God tell, and told him that he should not believe the Bible and then, you know, the students sort of piled on after that and began mocking him and regularly, you know, just even threatening to physically harm him. He brought his Bible to school. He was active in sharing his faith. He's 14 years old. He's a freshman. And this is what he's doing. And so, you know, the, like any parents would, his parents notify the school, you know, that he's being bullied at school. He's being harassed. Uh, this has really gone way beyond the pale. And the school doesn't take any action to do anything about it. Uh, then it even culminates when there's a couple of students who who uh, put out a rumor on social media that he's going to bring a gun to school and he's going to you know shoot somebody. And then there's all this other stuff that's piled on, like he's a psychopath, he's got a kill list, and all this, all of which is completely false. Um, mm. 
U.S. Department of Homeland Security agents visit the family at the home. Mm. They report to the school that there's nothing going on, that there's no evidence of any of this. And then rather than suspend those students, they suspend Nicholas for 10 days for disruption, disruption to the learning environment. So it's just a complete over-the-top response to this situation uh, with, with Nicholas. And so they end up filing this complaint against the school saying that you know, the school has retaliated against him for exercising his First Amendment rights at the school and failing to protect him uh, from this kind of um, harassment and bullying at the school. So that's what's going on in this Miami school. Wow. And, and, and you highlight at the end of this a, a story that um, we have talked about on a prior occasion, and that is the, the, the suspension of the of the grade school student. Um, you know, for sharing her faith uh, on the playground. I just, it, there's just a lot going on um, in the culture related to, at the intersection of education or the educational environment and people of faith, students and teachers alike. So thank you, Steve, as always, for bringing us these stories. Um, you uh, you have another thing here in the Liberties Roundup that caught my eye this week. And again, we're talking with Steve West from World News Group. You can find the Liberties Roundup up at WNG, that stands for World News Group, dot O-R-G. Court Greenlight's pro-life sidewalk counseling lawsuit. Um, what's what's going on here? People are going to recognize uh, the face and the name of David Benham. Yeah, I think so. You know, David Venom was, uh, along with his twin brother, Britt Jason, was set to host the HGTV Home Improvement Series, Flip It Forward, in 2014. Very successful guys. Uh, but that show was canceled after the media publicized the views on abortion and homosexuality, conservative views, traditional Bible, biblical views as well. But in this case, Venom, who heads up a uh, Charlotte, North Carolina pro-life organization, uh, had gathered a few individuals, volunteers, who were uh, outside of an abortion center in Charlotte, one of three in Charlotte. And what were they doing? They weren't protesting. They weren't yelling or anything like that. They were, uh, this was back in April of 2020, they were just simply trying to talk to the women that came into the center. Uh, they were actually, they were praying out there. If you recall, April 2020, well, that was shortly after uh the lockdowns occurred after you know COVID, uh, the pandemic started. So, so there was a there was a lockdown. You couldn't gather more than ten people together in Charlotte anywhere. Uh, and initially, you know, Benham found out from the uh, police chief that this would be okay if he gathered less than ten people out there, and they were socially distanced and all that. And that's what they did. But the the mayor pro tem at the time uh, then directed the police to shut him down. And uh, Benham was arrested. Uh, there were a couple of others that were cited. Uh, he ultimately, those charges were dismissed. But as a result of that, he brought this uh, he brought this lawsuit against the city, just uh, claiming that uh, you know freedom of expression, his, his free speech, as well as his religious liberty, had been compromised. And in this case, uh, a judge finally uh, determined that while it was a free speech violation, because the the law at issue didn't govern the speech, the content of speech, it was a religious liberty violation because right across the street, uh, folks were going into a retail establishment across the street, you know, and shopping and and everything. And yet, you know, he couldn't gather a few people that were socially distanced out there in front of the abortion center to try to talk to and pray for the women that were going in there. So that's what this is about. The case is not over. uh, It's still, but what it means is that the case will go forward 
and it looks like a very uh, favorable outcome in terms of his religious liberty claim. So just another example, I think, of uh, of how the government can sometimes can overreach, overreached in this emergency in terms of uh, restricting uh, activity and particularly the exercise of religious rights. Sometimes a, a picture, you know, communicates a whole lot. And the, the picture um, that, you know, comes alongside this article, uh, you know, is, is David Benham in a, you know, he doesn't look uh, like a scary guy. Um, he, uh, you know, he's wearing a Love Life t-shirt um, and he's, you know, holding open the back door of of a van, and on that are the words "help for today, bright hope for tomorrow," um, which you know, for people who love the great hymn "Great is Thy Faithfulness," they know that's the walk off, um, you know, the the walk off line of that hymn. Um, you know, we do have pardon for sin. We do have a peace that endureth. Um, we do have. Christ's own presence to cheer and to guide. And yes, we have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Um, he's declaring uh, in his public witness and testimony, you know, a really bright, positive, wonderful, life-affirming, life-giving, redemptive truth. And I think that sometimes we imagine that people who are um, standing outside of an abortion clinic are screaming and yelling at people. <laughs> And that's not what's going on here. I mean, this is literally um, a, a visible testimony to love and life and options that women uh, walking into abortion clinics may not know they have and resources in their community they may not know they have. And so um, I just want to be people want people to be mindful of that. You know, support your local crisis pregnancy center um, because real people are struggling today with real decisions. Um that don't just mean life and death for their unborn child. It, it really leads to a question of life or, or or just this ongoing agony of living with a decision where ultimately you recognize that you've taken the life of another human being. Um, and and it was one that God intended to protect and um, and bring forth through you. And so there's just a lot of layers here. We have talked in the past um, with women who have had abortions, and we have talked about ministries related to that. If you need those resources, um, please let us know. We'd love to put you in touch with uh, pro-life ministries in your community. And if you are a person struggling with, uh, uh, you know, the decision that you made at a point in your life to have an abortion, we want to offer you help and hope as well. So uh, you can text me at 877-933-2484 or email me, carmen at myfaithradio.com, and we'll get you um, those resources uh, as well. Steve, as always, thank you so much. The Liberties Roundup is uh, is wonderful, and the work that you're doing at World News Group is much appreciated. So thanks for being with us again today. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. You can find the Liberties Roundup and actually sign up to receive it in your inbox at wng.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Walk-off lines of, uh, of favorite hymns. We could uh, do a whole segment on that. Yes, for those of you um, noting, the walk-off line of Great is Thy Faithfulness is a pretty great, um, pretty great walk-off line. Uh, I, um, I think that when we consider the events of the world today and everything that's going on, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, whew, 
right? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Maybe a good reminder today um, of the faithfulness of God, the, the joy of fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to the God to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Spend some time today reveling in and reflecting on the great faithfulness of God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Next up, we've got Dan DeWitt. We used to call it the Weekend Worldview Reader, but Dan and I both admit we all just need worldview readers um, aggregated together. So uh, Dan's going to join us next. Here's the question. Is Jesus the answer to every question or is Jesus the question? Yep, that's the question. The answer next. Dan DeWitt joins us now. He uh, teaches at Cedarville University. He also um, not only joins us, but writes at theolatte.com, where we then um, go and pilfer what he's posted and talk about it here. So, Dan, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm fantastic. I have been rifling through what you've been posting at theolatte.com, and I have uh, come upon an answer and a question. Dun, okay. dun, dun. All right. <laughs> Jesus is the question. Jesus is the question. Um, often we suggest that Jesus is the answer, which he is. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Um, but what are you trying to uh, get at here in this conversation about Jesus is the question? Well, several years ago, um, the former president of Fuller Seminary, Martin Coppenhaver, Uh, published a book called Jesus is the Question, and he points out that Jesus was 40 times more likely to give a question than an answer. And so what I'm getting at in this post is that often we rush in with these kind of ready-made answers and prepackaged sound bites, and we don't take the time to listen and to think. And so what we need to do if we really want to be impacted by truth is be willing to linger in it without rushing out, acting like we know all the answers to all the questions. And so sometimes Christians have kind of bumper sticker responses to things, and we imply as though we've thought through all the issues and our answers are our very own, um, when really we've just taken something and we're parroting something someone else has said. So in this post, I'm getting at slow down, um, be humble, and be willing to even 
perhaps be the most Christ-like thing you could do is to ask questions instead of quickly giving an answer. Okay, so um, what's the price of gas? First of all, that's a moving target, but the answer is not <laughs> Jesus. What's the atomic number of zinc? That's not a moving target. That's a, like, there's a real definite answer to that question, and it's not Jesus, right? Like, that that doesn't yeah. work as the, an- that's that's one of the things you're trying to get at here. When you talk about superficial answers, um, you're going beyond that. It's not that we're saying Jesus every time somebody asks uh, a difficult question or a scientific question or a historical question. Um what you're, I think, in part trying to get us to do is consider responding with a question mm-hmm. um, to to take us to another place in a conversation to learn more about the person asking the question, maybe to get at why they're asking the question, um, because we can't read people's hearts in the same way that Jesus did. That's absolutely right. And so really what I'm getting at is, is really twofold. On the one end, it's asking questions of others as a way, you know, you think back to what's called the Socratic method, going back to the Greek philosopher Socrates, who primarily taught through asking questions. And people have drawn, you know, a parallel between the way that Jesus taught, and there, there are some real valid parallels there. So on the one hand, it's about the other. How do we help them understand what they're thinking about? How do we get them to the question, you know, below the question? But it's also about the person. Um, So it's not just about others. It's also about the person taking time to actually think about issues. So in in our day with social media, it's so easy to just grab something that someone has spent a lot of time wrestling with and they come to a conclusion. You know, you find a Tim Keller quote and you take that and you offer it as though you've actually done the same work he's done, um, Mm. that you've thought through all the issues. And so I think I'm trying to get at both, right, That, that sometimes in social media, we take really complicated, nuanced issues and try and so simplify them that we're not asking enough questions ourselves. What questions are you um, hearing students ask today that some of us might not be hearing? Um, because I think, Dan, that part of what you bring is this um, this access to what's happening uh, in in the hearts and lives of college students who happen to be at a Christian college, maybe some of whom are dealing with questions of faith in new ways because they're no longer inside the household of, uh, you know, of Christian parents. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like allowing the space for people to ask the questions um, that they need to ask so that they arrive at their own answers um, to, you know, who is Jesus and how do I respond to him? Well, I think at a conservative school like Cedarville, most of our students are coming from, you know, Bible-believing um, Christian families and really intentional churches. But still, even with that being the case for so many of them, a lot of them want to get past the immediate kind of summary answer, what I talked about in terms of like a soundbite or a bumper sticker kind of answer. And We'll never know how to respond to those if all we're doing is interacting with people on social media. And that's where it's really easy just to retweet someone or to give a pat answer. And so I think what I'm experiencing with students is they really want to know the why. Okay, you've given me an answer. I want to talk about why you came to that conclusion. I want to, you know, if you think back to high school, show your work. (laughs) You know, don't just give me the math answer, but show me how you got there. And I think that students 
that I'm encountering are serious about their faith, they're serious about Jesus, they're serious about the Church, but they really want to get past some of this cultural baggage we've added on top of Jesus, and they're asking, why do we care about this or that? And they want to know, is it really in the Bible? Um, is it really something that, I should, that I'm commanded to believe and accept and practice? And so that's what I encounter in the classroom. Our students are really, I think, some people might look at that and call that even deconstruction, that they're deconstructing something. I think what they're doing, um, a, a better term that I've heard used recently is deculturation. They're actually mm. removing kind of the cultural baggage to their faith um, that I think comes along with social media and these kind of sound bites, easy answers. They're wanting to do the hard work to really have an authentic faith that mirrors um, what's talked about in the New Testament. All right, let's, um, if we could, let's pivot to uh, a conversation where the word deconstruction actually appears in uh, in this week's Worldview Reader at theolatte.com. Um, the piece is on deconstruction, the tale of two brothers. It's interesting to me that you're taking a word that we hear uh, in, you know, sort of the common parlance of our day, and you're going back and you're looking at uh, a biblical story where um, we can lift up this conversation about the faith uh, and and people's response to it. Yeah, and what I'm dealing with is the the two brothers I'm talking about are the two brothers in Luke's gospel. And, you know, Jesus tells three lost stories, and they're beautiful and powerful. We talk about the story of the two brothers. We usually just think of one, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but what I talk about with those two brothers is one of them, the younger brother, goes through this really painful, hard process of learning life's lessons the hard way, right? And he ends up in a far-off country having spent his inheritance and done, you know, um, made some really poor decisions, and then he finally comes home. And on that walk home, he's rehearsing to himself what he'll say to his father, and his father receives him and has a meal with him. And we would look at that and say, you know, it's, it's so sad he had to go down that path, right? And he's going to have lifelong scars from some of the decisions he made. So there's no glorifying what the younger brother did. But on the other hand, he came home. Um, his older brother finds out that his younger brother's returned, they're throwing a party, and he's mad. And my point in that story is that the older brother um, has yet to deconstruct the obstacles that keep him from the father, and in that context of Luke 15, Jesus is telling this parable as a rebuke to the religious leaders who have all the right answers in terms of re the religion of their day, but they don't have a relationship with the Father. And so as we see people who we might consider to be prodigals, and they're wandering, and they're wondering, um, and we think, man, this is just always going to end the bad way, we should also be worried about those people who are look the part, they look religious, but they don't have they've not deconstructed the obstacles in their life. So in this way, I want to make deconstruction, perhaps for some, a positive thing of removing the obstacles. Yeah, I think that when we talk about praying, praying for prodigals, um, recognizing that there are those who, you know, they leave home and they go west, young man, and they're out there and they're looking around and they're trying to put it together and sort of we, we pray for them because we don't know at every hour of every day you know, where they are or what they're doing, and we're concerned um, for them, and maybe they're engaged in, in behaviors that are obviously to us not conformed with God's revealed will in terms of, you know, His best for us. But 
we got to pray for the kids who never leave home and mm-hmm. never, um, you know, never visibly, uh, you know, take off and go find the answers for themselves because they may be just as far from God in terms of a real relationship and real fellowship um, just because they don't visibly wander off doesn't mean they're not lost. And um, and so I think it's just so helpful, so helpful. And part of that, uh, Dan, and you do this so well, part of that is asking, again, circling back maybe to the, the first conversation, um, some of that is just asking better questions of young people, mm-hmm. making fewer assumptions, asking better questions. Um, when they When they fall silent in the midst of a conversation, that's a pretty good indicator that they don't agree with what has just been said. But some of us just tend to plow ahead as if um, silence is agreement. And it's it's often not. Silence is often a sign that they don't agree. That That's right. You know, there was an article in The Atlantic several years back about um, it was based on several interviews with young atheists on college campuses. And one of the interesting things with that article, they pointed out that most of the young atheists they interviewed had some church background. And um, they weren't they were first generation atheists. And they said they felt like in their churches, when they asked serious questions, they received superficial answers. And so I think it's important, like you said, to to take those silent moments and say, how do you feel about that? Um, I, there's a Chesterton, Chesterton quote, G.K. Chesterton quote, that I think is helpful in thinking about um, this conversation. Chesterton said there are two ways of getting home. And one of them is to stay there. The other is to go around the entire world until you come back to the same place. And for some, it may look like they're going around the entire world, but God willing, they'll end up back at the same place. All right. Any article that starts with the original Star Trek and the Starship Enterprise is probably one that's going to catch the attention of Dan DeWitt. And so uh, he has a piece that's actually by a professor of philosophy at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. The piece is called What is a Law of Nature? Um, We're going to talk about Mark Lang's piece that's posted at mm -hmm, A-E-O-N. Is that Eon? (laughs) Eon Eon, C-O. But you can more easily find it uh, on the Worldview Roundup at Theolatte.com. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. You can find everything we're discussing at theolatte.com in the Worldview Roundup. Dan, what is a law of nature? That's a great question. Um, So this article is about that and how we figure out what a law of nature is and how a law of nature might be challenged. And so the author in the article talks about a law of nature Um, is something that's discovered by acquiring evidence um, that some apparent regularity is not only never violated, but also could never be violated. So law is something that is just the way the world works, and scientists work really hard to discover what those are. Um, In this article, one of the things he starts with, as you mentioned, is the Star Trek reference, where um, James Kirk says to uh, um, Lieutenant Commander Montgomery Scott, to uh, basically, you know, make sure the Starship Enterprise does what he wants it to do. And Scott responds, um, I can't do it. I can't change the law of physics, he explains. And th- that this article is really unpacking that. What is a law of physics? Now, if you know Star Trek, 
he's actually able to do it, and somehow they break the law of physics. And this article says that can't happen. The laws of physics, the laws of nature cannot be broken, and by definition, that's what a law is. So when we talk about um, the law of nature or laws of nature, we think of that which is impossible to break. Um, and and yet, I, I don't know, I see a lot of people um, imagining that they can break the laws of nature because they can simply deny that nature is what it is. The nature of things or the nature of self or the nature of relationships. And I think that adds a layer of confusion to this conversation today that used to not exist. Yeah, I think that there are, you know, in terms of the the laws of nature are the the laws by which the um, physical world operates. And so there are other laws at play, and Christians certainly would believe that there's a moral law. And so I, I like to use the illustration with when I'm teaching um, to say that we understand certain physical laws like gravity, um, the way that, you know, objects interact with each other with mass and how, you know, whatever the more technical definition would be. Essentially, the easy definition is if you drop something, it's going to fall to the ground. And I like to tell um, my students, if you were to go to the top of our education building that I teach in and um, run across the roof, flapping your arms and, you know, singing that old pop song, I Believe I Could Fly, and jump off of the building, um, you're going to fall and, and break a lot of bones. You know, don't do that. Um, you can't break the, the laws of the physical universe but I would also argue you can't break the the moral laws of God. Um, and so if you believe you could defy God's design for you without consequence, it's like jumping off the building saying, I believe I could fly. You can no more break God's moral laws than you could break the physical laws of the universe. You and I can say that, and yet we live in the context of a culture where the truth that you have just declared, which is true truth, is regarded as not aligned with the way someone feels. Yeah. And so not only do they declare their own truth, but other people around them insist that I affirm the personal truth of an individual who does not see reality or themselves uh, for what it is. Yeah, and this is where I think Christians really have to begin with with listening and empathy. It kind of comes back to that the earlier post about asking questions. I, I, there was a popular pastor who recently made some really strong statements about people who um, identify with something other than their birth gender, and he responded with the hard science. You know, science mm. says this, science says that. But people who actually experience that struggle, they're not talking about the science. They're talking about the psychology and mm -hmm. the personal experience. And that's where I think we don't want to dis discount um, or devalue someone's real struggle. I mean, I think we could all relate to there are things I would change about my own body. You know, I, I wish I to quote another song. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. Um, there are a lot of things I would change. And we all can relate to not feeling entirely comfortable within our, our own skin but on the other hand, um, that doesn't discount the fact that if there's a God who's revealed himself, there's a design. So I want to be empathetic about the struggle. But on the other hand, we, we like you said, 
we have to point people back to God's design. If God does exist, if there's an author to our story, if there's a designer behind who we are, then that means there's a blueprint, that means there's a plan, there's an end goal. And so we don't help people by pointing them away from what they were created for. And today, in a world that says they value diversity, often what they mean is we don't want your opinion, we only want to listen to one side of it. Christians can model true diversity, where we could differ with one another with respect and empathy, but also without compromise. Dan DeWitt has served in academic and pastoral roles um, as the lead pastor of the campus church in Cedarville, Ohio. He um, he serves as the director of the Center for Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity. He's an associate professor of applied theology. Um, we don't often talk about all of your credentials because we just love to talk with you. Um, but uh, you're also an author. You're a husband. You're a dad. Um, lots of roles that you play, and and we just so appreciate um, the opportunity that we have to talk with you on a regular basis and and just unpack things. Um, I appreciate that I can kind of roam around in a conversation with you, and it's a real conversation, and you're not, you know, you're not like put off that I introduce subject matter or, um, you know, or ask questions that, you know, maybe aren't teed up in advance. So um, I kind of want everybody to just know that, like, Dan, the conversations that we have are real conversations, and I genuinely appreciate that. Um, so it's um, it's rare in the culture today to find a thinking Christian whose um, heart of ministry is lived out in home and, and, and in community. Um, and so thank you for what you're doing on the Cedarville campus. Thank you for uh, what you're teaching and the way that you're teaching it. And thank you for extending that to all of us through what you're doing at Theolatte.com. It's genuinely appreciated. Well, I'm deeply honored by that, Carmen. Thank you so much. And to people who listen, thank you for letting me be a part of your morning. And uh, man, I'm going to just kind of soar throughout the day off that encouragement. Thanks, Carmen. Well, you are an encouragement to us. That's Dan DeWitt. You can find him at theolatte.com. That's like God and coffee, theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. We have a couple of prayer requests to list up to lift up um, right now. Um, Raymond Chung is the president of um, uh, a collaborative, a Christian collaborative. He's a discipleship um, guy. He's an author. Um, he he teaches and talks at the intersection of Christianity and culture. Right now, he is um, in a back brace. And yesterday, he was flying out of the airport in Minneapolis. Um, and he was in such a hurry to get to his flight and trying to get his back brace on that he left his backpack sitting at the gate when he boarded the plane. Um, and he asked last night um, on Twitter if we would all pray because Lost and Found apparently closed um, prior to him being able to communicate with, with them because he was already on the plane. Anyway, this morning when Lost and Found opens, I'm just praying that Raymond's backpack is there. Or maybe somebody said, hey, suspicious backpack, and um, and the TSA people picked it up, and it's, you know, and it's in a locked box at TSA. 
But whatever the case, let's be praying that his backpack is found. Um, you and I can understand, you know, that our laptop and our headphones and our Bible and our notebook and our change of clothes, like whatever is in there, right? Um, maybe even his wallet, like there's just a lot that could be in your backpack uh, if you are traveling. And so I just want to lift up that prayer today. It's a lost and found prayer. And God loves those because he's the finder of the lost. And so uh, I, I want a parable to grow out of uh, this testimony. We also have a listener prayer request this morning from Lori. Lori texted this in. You can you can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Um, Lori has friends who are missionaries in Romania, um, and they have been um, working diligently to accommodate the needs of uh, of Ukrainians who are fl- who are flowing over the Romanian border as refugees. And so maybe not surprisingly, they took some of those people into their into their home, um, but their home is a rented home and the landlord is not sympathetic to the Ukrainian refugee uh, plight. And so uh, these missionaries in Romania, along with the refugees they were housing, have been evicted. And so they're looking today for another place to live. Um, Let us be praying that God provides a home for them where they can help and house refugees as well. Lots of challenges in front of uh, in front of people today. And so let us be ardently praying for one another. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. And we've got another full hour of conversation up next. Our friend Adam Holtz will be here to survey some of the media news. And then we're going to have a conversation amongst ourselves. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.